Welcome to the latest Pink Podcast in the Pink Elephant Podcast Series, dedicated to leading the way in IT management best practices. Welcome to The Key to Transitioning from Product to Production with Gary Case. Management of the process and roles. Uh, again, you have to make sure that this is where way before we even think about implementing, this is where we should have had HR involved in our process development. Because before we roll out, we need to take care of all the HR things. In other words, making sure we have full approvals for titles. Okay? And I've worked in organizations where the word change manager cannot be used because the word manager denotes that you manage people. Change manager manages a process here. Okay? They don't manage people necessarily. So now you have to come up with consistency about roles. Make sure the job descriptions have been updated. That's another thing. Who does that job after you move into production? How about performance plans? Do we have implement, uh, using ITIL activities, processes as part of the performance plans, goals and objectives, performance appraisals? Do we address that? Do we reward on this? That's all HR stuff that has to be done during the development stages. But after you move into the implementation stage and you've deployed it and now it's in production, who owns that? You can say the process owner, and that's probably the first stop there, but it's also governance is going to play a part of that. You have continual improvement. What do we look at there? It's all around documentation. It's around understanding your triggers should be management information, customer satisfaction surveys. You're going to be having uh, a scheduled review of the documentation on an ongoing basis. You have to then, based upon any changes, modify your training identify who's going to deliver the training because it just doesn't happen automatically. And uh, for some of you, and this is Gary's opinion only, okay, so I don't want you running back saying pink set or whatever, Gary's opinion. When you start doing process and tool training, when you're first rolling out, and even on an ongoing basis afterwards, I find it very difficult to do it over the web, okay? Because really, it's a, you need the ability to have questions and answers and, and some guidance and everything that's there. And I know some companies have gone that route, and that's fine, but this is really a people business, and we, we have to understand and give the ability for this people business to be taken uh, seriously because it's about changing behavior, and it's hard to change behavior over the Internet is my belief. So we've talked about a lot of these areas already, but uh, these are the key things that you have to look at and say, you know, who's going to deal with these afterwards? Set up some kind of a structure of how you're going to go out and do the timelines. Remember, you don't have to do everything at one time. And if you are implementing um, uh, more than one process at a time, you may even consider staggering. Going back to your questioning and here is stagger. You know, do incident management after the 60 days, change after 90 days, so that you're not dumping everything on the operations group. But again, that's a transition team decision, and that may be part of the criteria of what you're going to do. Uh, recently, we introduced two processes within two days of each, July 3rd and July 5th. Third was incident, I think, and the fifth was change or vice versa, I can't remember. Well, I may not want to dump both of those in the operations or production environment at the same time. I may want to stagger that a little bit. Okay, so some thought process about that. Typical roles, organizations and stuff like that that you're going to be considering later on, and this, is, uh, this has to be decided before you even deploy. But the only thing I want to talk about is, you know, your whole governance, because you have to have that governance set up. Oftentimes, your governance will be made up of your process owners plus, like, maybe your executive sponsor, okay? Because your process owners have to, they're accountable for that process they own 
and they have to understand the integration issues with the other processes and the impact of a change to one process to another process. So you may find that your governance is really going to be um, at, at your process owner level. Now, I talked about the process owner, what they're accountable for. You also have process managers. And again, in many organizations that are large, you're going to have a global process manager, like a global problem manager, and then local problem managers. And, and in any case, you know, they're really within their specific areas of what they're looking for. Okay? Uh, and this talks about an infrastructure group, but in reality, it could be the IT applications. We always want to forget that side of the house. You know, they play in the sandbox with us. It's important to understand that they have to have a primary role here. But also when you start getting into the uh, uh, production environment, who should be holding this young gentleman here who just started out with our company last week, who holds them accountable to follow the process? Is it the process owner, the process manager? You know, it's a process manager accountable for this person here. Okay, all right, I could say yes to an extent. What is his direct manager responsible for? The performance, okay? So it's a cascading type effect. So it's not the process owner, and you'll actually find literature that says the process owner is accountable to make sure this young man here follows the process. So, okay, yeah, maybe I'm accountable, but I'm going to look to so-and-so, and so-and-so is going to look to so-and-so, and so-and-so. -and -so your direct managers, and this is why it's so important that everybody understands, and this is why you have to have performance plans, performance goals, appraisal systems, reward systems that are set up at this individual contributor level that somebody's managing. Okay? So we can cascade it down, but we have to be very careful about not saying it's the process owner, and we have relieved ourselves of every you know, sense of responsibility about our employee, because we have that responsibility. Sometimes tools are used to force the process, and uh, there is good and bad about that. It depends how it's designed. Sometimes tools are designed that you cannot move to the next step until you complete this step, and that's because of the importance of this step. However, completing this step is always right, or could it be wrong? Could be wrong. Think about prioritization. Many tools say you cannot go any further until you have created a priority. Okay, but what is your measurement of priority around impact, your criteria for impact and urgency, and are people following the right priority, or is everything a priority one just simply because that's what the customer made me feel like? So you can have the tool can help drive that, but what you want to be careful of is remembering your process design, and then later on, after it moves into production, you need to be checking for continuous service improvement because your process needs to be both efficient and effective. And so that's your continuous improvement. And so sometimes that you can actually modify your tool to make the process more efficient and not lose effectiveness. And a prime example of this happens in organizations around release management. Okay? If you think about release management, the amount of rigor that's required on the application side of the house is totally different than what's required on the infrastructure side. Testing is a prime example that in the application side, you're going to have maybe multiple different kinds of tests that have to be fully test criteria, documented results. On the infrastructure side of the house, you do a lot of your testing in the engineering stage, okay, up front here. So then it becomes a plug and play, and I've seen organizations that they make their process so rigor 
and their tool requirements so rigor, it takes them having to jump through 20 hoops to get anything done. So now we have to look at can we make the tool more efficient to support the process and not lose any effectiveness. So you do have to balance that. There's no doubt about that. Any process role that you identify, you have to define whether it's full-time or part-time. Okay? In most organizations, it's more of a part-time type role for many process roles because they actually are responsible for executing many process activities. So it's a hat, and I've always wanted to do this, and I think I could make a lot of money on it, and I've just been too lazy to do it. I want to have this hat, a baseball hat, that has all these different bills on it. Problem management on this one, change management on that, incident management on that one, because you will find yourself changing roles. So you could have a lot, you know, someone who is a change manager and also have people underneath of them, and one of those may be a change coordinator, but you don't want to get wrapped up in your organizational structure, and that's why you find many times you may have a new at a director level, a service manager or something, and then underneath that may be your, either your global managers or your regular managers if you don't have. Uh, so it's not, if you have like one change manager, your change manager, service level manager, et cetera, would be under that. But you want to be careful about how you set those up because now what you've done is create another silo, okay? And remember when we implement processes, we want to go across an organization not creating more silos. So there's many approaches of what you're going to do there, but don't confuse a process role with a functional role. Two different things. Okay? Thank you for listening to this week's Pink Podcast. Please join us next week for a new podcast session.